Good evening. Hi, welcome to Fellowship Mosaic. We're so glad you're here. Everybody enjoying this beautiful summer day? Hey, um, just, if you are new, we want to introduce you to what's going on here. We are Fellowship Mosaic. We are a congregation that's a part of a larger church that is Fellowship Bible Church. And what that means is we are a group of people who want to follow Jesus together, who want to become more like Jesus um, and to love like Jesus in our community and the world around us. And so we're excited that you're here to worship with us. And uh, I just want to invite, if you are new, if you're visiting us for the first time, we would really love the chance to welcome you in a more personal way. So there's two primary ways you could do that. One, after service, there's a little welcome booth out in the center. Um, if you feel so bold as to walk out there and say, hey, I guarantee you there's somebody who will make it not too ter terribly scary. But if you'd uh, like a little bit more space, um, you can just uh, scan the QR code on the previous slide. Can we jump back a slide there? Um, and that, that QR code will make sure that you get no that someone at the church gets notified, and we'll reach out to you this week and just try to connect and help, uh, help you find your way around this church. Another great way to get connected is a study that we call Discover Fellowship. And, and Discover is a small group experience where you gather with a group of others and you walk through the history, the vision, the beliefs, and the passion of our church. And so it takes place, so we have one going over the course of the summer starting June 25th. Um, and it is an on-ramp into community, into serving here, and to being a member of this church. So if that's something you want to jump in on, again, you can scan the QR code or just go to mosaicnwa.org slash news to find out more. One more thing I want to let you know about. Um, for many people, uh, I know this is often my experience, is the summer can become a time to kind of disconnect and even lose healthy rhythms. And that's something our family's talked a lot about is how do we actually maintain good patterns and good rhythms in the summer instead of everything falling apart? And so there's a lot of studies that you can jump into going on this summer that are set up to help you grow. There's some women's ministry studies they're gonna be launching, um, some different Bible studies we have going on, and one particular I wanna let you know about called Our Faith, which is a study that walks you through eight big questions of the Christian faith. Who is God and what is he like? What's gone wrong with the world, and, and what has God done, and is he doing to make it right? And that's going to be taking place on Saturday nights throughout the course of the summer. Terry Weedle is going to be teaching that class. And if you don't know Terry, Terry is a gift to our church. Um, he, was, he was in the Philippines, he and his wife Kathy, for 30 years. The first 15 years, they were church-planting missionaries. The next 15 years, he taught at a Bible college, training Filipino leaders to go out and plant churches. And now he's taking all that experience of training missionaries, and they've come to Rogers and said, can we help train the people of fellowship, which is a pretty incredible opportunity. So if you want to jump in with Terry and go through our faith, that opportunity uh, is there well, as well. Again, anything that's going on, your home base, let's see if we can practice this together. You're going to go to the website, mosaicnwa.org slash News, thank you. So if you ever say, what's going on at Fellowship? How do I find out about that study? You know what our first answer is gonna be? Go to mosaicnwa.org slash news. That is always gonna be a place you can find anything that's going on. Hey, one more thing I wanna tell you about big picture, not just stuff that's going on, but something that's near and dear to our heart. One of the driving passions of this church is the conviction that the Holy Spirit has equipped every follower of Jesus to do ministry, that that is not the unique calling of people whose full-time job is to be a pastor. 
And, and so we practice what we call producing and releasing spiritual leaders. It means we want to pour into people, equip them, and then launch them to serve. And so one of the things that's happening tonight, one thing I think is really cool, is we have a produce and release leader leading us in worship tonight. Um, Josh was a high school student when I was doing student ministry years ago, and I was the student worship pastor. I had fantastic long hair down to about here. If you've seen the pictures, they're a gem. And Josh was an electric guitar player that played with us, and now years later, he is taking lead of this service. He's going to be leading us tonight, and so it is a gift to be in a church where we have so many different people um, exercising their gifts. And that's our desire for you too, is that you would find what, is, what passion, gifting, and calling is the Lord given you to serve him. And, uh, and we want to be exercising those gifts to the glory of God and for the joy and goodness of his people. So to that end, let's stand and sing together. Declare his praise For who can stop the Lord Almighty Our God is the Lion The Lion of Judah He's roaring with power And fighting our battles And every knee will bow before him Our God is the Lamb The Lamb that was slain sins of the world his blood breaks the chains and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb and every knee will bow before him and open up the gates Make way before the King of Kings The God who comes to save Is here to set the captives free For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah He's roaring with power and fighting our battles Every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. And every knee will bow before Him. Stop the Lord Almighty. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? And who can stop the Lord Almighty? 
who can stop the Lord Almighty? And who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. And every knee will bow before Him. we need him.
next song um, do you take a moment to silently just read this prayer before we take up our offering Draw me close. 
John chapter 9 with me. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, 
isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Together, we say this is the word of the Lord. You can take a seat. Hey, if you've been with us the last five weeks, uh, you may have noticed something that seems a little odd. Is that in five weeks, you heard five different people teach. Which can seem a little confusing, depending on what your church background is. And, and if you don't know, about a year ago, the, the Fellowship Mosaic body went through a lot of transition, a lot of leadership transition as people were finding new roles. And I've, I've heard some people ask, hey, we noticed there's someone different teaching every week. Does that mean the transition season isn't over and we still don't know who's doing what and who's leading what? Uh, no, that's not what's going on. Actually, five teachers in five weeks means that things are going well. And here's why. Because of that same concept we talked about earlier, that idea that we believe that the Spirit gifts everyone in the body, um, that includes teaching and preaching. And that there are a lot of different people with teaching and preaching gifts. And so our goal is not to have one lead teacher who teaches 45 Saturdays out of the year. Rather, we want to have a teaching team that comes together and studies the word together and then takes turns um, delivering messages on Saturday night and bringing the word of God to this body. So let me just tell you a little bit about how that works. Um, there are four people that make up the, the core of the Saturday night teaching team. And about 45 Saturdays out of the year, you're going to hear from one of these four people. Uh, my name's Nick, and my role here is that I serve as what we call the congregational leader, which means I have essentially two responsibilities. One is I'm responsible for leading the ministry staff teams. And so for community ministry, worship ministries, family ministries, and all that, I'm responsible for kind of on the staff side leading. And then I get to lead the teaching team. And so I work with the teaching team as we all approach the scriptures together um, to help us grow and to help us have a, a unified approach to rightly handling God's word. So you're going to hear from me about once a month. And then the other people on this core team are Colin Jackson. Colin leads our community or a small group team. And so you're going to hear from him very regularly. You're going to hear from Matt Natzel, who leads our family ministry team. Yeah, we love Matt. He's great. And then you're also going to hear from Will Blanchard, who is our multiplication team leader, which does not mean that he teaches eight, uh, third grade math, in case um, that's what anybody, that was what one person said earlier. Um, multiplication team leader means that Will is responsible for casting vision and equipping us as a church to multiply and launch other churches, for multiplying leaders to help us go beyond fellowship. It's a really cool role. So these are the four faces that you're going to hear from about 45 Saturdays out of the year. And the other Saturdays are going to be guests like our friend Gary Oliver, who's a member of our congregation, um, who works at John Brown University, and other people from the fellowship family coming in to teach. So I just want to let you know that's what's going on, and that's going to be a part of our regular rhythm on Saturday nights, um, because we think that's what God is leading us into for how that we can best serve the body, best have different voices involved. And here's one of the things I love most about that. One of the things I hear most often from people uh, when they reach out to connect is they say, hey, we know you're so busy and you don't have time to meet. Um, actually, that's not true. Because we share responsibilities, we do have time to meet. 
nobody's carrying one load. And so as, as a team, we want to be with the people of the body. Um, and so it's, it's a really healthy, wonderful place to be where you get to do ministry in a team of people who share the load together. And so that applies to student ministry, family ministry, community, everything we do. We love working in teams so that we can be a better picture of the body of Christ together. So that's what a normal rhythm on Saturday night is going to look like. That being said, let's pray and jump into our text, shall we? Lord, we love you and we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that you have not left us in the dark uh, about who you are and about what you desire for us, what you've done for us, and what it is to know you. So Lord, tonight, I pray that your spirit will be at work in our hearts. Um, Open our eyes to see what you've done, to know you truly and to be changed by you. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're continuing in our, our series on the life of Jesus and the Gospel of John. We're looking at these signs, these miracles that Jesus did. And we've said that every one of these signs, we call them signs because they're pointing to something. Every one of these miraculous acts serves the purpose of highlighting who Jesus is. And tonight we're going to look at the story of when Jesus healed a man born blind. And this event is going to be triggered by a theological question. What sin led to this man's blindness? And Jesus is going to use this question as an opportunity to turn the whole thing on its head and say, it wasn't the man's sin that led to his blindness. It's our blindness that keeps us trapped in sin. And that's what he's going to be teaching us as we walk through the story. So when we look at John chapter 9, verse 1, we say, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. The common thought in Jewish culture was that anything hard happening in your life happened because you had done something wrong, right? You sin, so God is punishing you. So your crops fail, you sin. You get sick, you sin. Someone dies suddenly in an unexpected way, there must have been some sin there. But if things go well for you, you must be obeying God. So this Man who was born blind posed a very tricky problem for them. If something bad like this happens to you when you sin, whose sin led to this man's blindness? Now, there were actually some rabbis. This was not a totally new question. There were some rabbis that, because they were so stuck in this belief that individual sins led to bad things, some suggested that people born with defects, maybe they had sinned in the womb somehow. How fantastic is that? So one option is somehow this child was able to sin before he was even born, or it must be the sin of his parents. It must be something they did that led to this child being born broken. What a devastating view of God and reality that is. That ev- can you imagine the amount of shame that you would carry if every bad thing that happened in your life was your fault, anytime you're a victim of a bad circumstance, it's actually God punishing you for something you did wrong. And imagine the amount of pride that could come on the other side. Everything good that ever happens to you is because God is happier with you than he is everyone else. That is where this kind of thinking led. And so they're posing this really difficult question to Jesus. And look at what he says. He says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. 
He's blowing up their entire paradigm here. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, there is truth that sin generally breaks the world. And that when terrible things happen, it is because we live in a sinful world. But Jesus refuses to say that you can draw a one-to-one connection between particular sins and particular bad things. The only time we can say that is when the bad thing is a direct consequence of the sin, right? So if, if I go out and rob a bank and I get arrested, I don't get to lament that I'm a victim of getting arrested, right? Like that consequence is the direct action of some, a result of something I did. Outside of that kind of scenario, it is really dangerous business to try to draw a cause and effect relationship from individual sins to individual tragedies and trials. And Jesus says, don't go there. And what Jesus said is something uh, my mentor and our friend Gary Oliver said over and over again. Trying to ask why a difficult thing is happening in your life is almost never helpful. Because that's not an answer we're promised to ever get. Trying to, the, the number of causal webs that the infinite, omniscient God knows about is beyond our ability to pull apart. So thinking that we are going to be given a why for any hard thing is not a helpful road to go down. But what Gary says, and I think he takes this straight from Jesus, a much better question is what does God want to teach me in the midst of this very difficult circumstance? And that's exactly where Jesus points them here. You you can't know the why, but I can tell you what I'm doing here. I'm about to show myself to you. And that's where Jesus redirects everyone's attention. It's not trying to understand why this particular kid was born blind, but rather saying, all of this, I'm doing something, and I'm about to show myself to you in a powerful way. And then he starts to get philosophical on him in verse 4. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I can imagine his disciples being rather puzzled by this response in the middle of this. Um, we're going to have to read on. Why, why does he go from this one person's very particular problem to reflecting on Jesus? The world is in darkness and Jesus is the light of the world. We're, we're going to have to follow through and get that unpacked a little bit. But in verse 6, after saying this, he spit on the ground made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the men went and washed and came home seeing. Now, I don't know why Jesus spit on the ground and made mud. Um, A lot of people have come up with a lot of really interesting explanations that may be right. Um, Oftentimes, if the text doesn't tell us why he did it, I'm hesitant to guess. The Bible doesn't say he spit on the ground so that he could prove. I don't know. I don't know. But something about this moment, I think the biggest thing it teaches us, if we go through all the miracles of Jesus, you know what we'll find? He never does it the same way twice. I think one of his big motivations was to show us that he's not a magician who has a certain formula that you can imitate, that if you say the right words and do it in the same order that Jesus did, you'll have the same power he had. I think he intentionally changes his formula every time so that you get the point, it's not the formula, it's him. He's the one who does the miracles. 
and he heals this man's sight, and it creates a massive controversy. There is this big, long chapter, and what you'll see is it launches into a series of interrogations. Four different conversations follow from verses 8 to 34 as they're trying to make sense of what happened. It's one of the longest debates about a miracle we get. First, the neighbors look at the man and say, whoa, whoa, this can't really, he's seeing, that, that can't be the same guy, can it? No, it really is him. And then the Pharisees, the religious leaders, get involved, and they get upset because it was done on a Sabbath day. And so they start interrogating the man. They're not happy with that conversation, so they go grab the man's parents and bring him in and get him, them involved. And they don't want anything to do with it. They say, hey, just ask him. He can answer for himself. Way to be, mom and dad. And then they bring the man back in, and they start interrogating him again. Now, part, there's a lot of layers to what's going on here. We're not going to work through all the details of it. But part of what's going on is this miracle of healing blindness is actually remarkably unique in the Bible. We don't see examples of healing blindness happen in the Old Testament. We don't see almost every miracle Jesus does in some way his followers or those who come before him repeat it. But this one they don't. Something about healing blindness is a special kind of miracle that throughout the scripture is spoken of as being something only God does. It has a kind of impossibility to it. It would be something like saying when hell freezes over or when pigs fly. Like this is the kind of thing you just don't see happen. And when Jesus shows up and heals the most impossible kind of situation, a man born blind, it creates a massive controversy, and because this kind of healing is something reserved for God, they cannot accept the implications of what it would mean for Jesus to have done this. And you know what their conclusion is for the young man? They kick him out of the synagogue. They say, you can't be here anymore because he told the truth about Jesus. And in this, you know, in our culture, if, if you got kicked out of your church, you'd go like two minutes down the road and go to another church, Right? In this culture, the synagogue was the center of the community. Getting kicked out of the synagogue was the end of communal life for him. He was disconnected from everyone he loved. I think it's really interesting that Jesus healed this man and then apparently just disappears for a little while, leaves him on his own to have this conversation and to experience total rejection, and then Jesus shows back up in his life again. Take a look at the end of the story in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And look at Jesus' answer. You have seen him. Of all the ways Jesus could have identified himself to the man born blind, what a beautiful statement. You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Look at the transformation that Jesus takes this man through from the beginning of the story to the, to the end. He heals him miraculously. Then he steps away and lets his faith get tested. He lets him get put through the ringer. And he lets him get cut off from everything. And then Jesus comes back. And when that man knows fully the cost of what his commitment would be, 
says, are you ready to believe in the Son of Man? And the man knows that the one who healed his blindness is worthy of his faith and his worship. And he says, yes. Now contrast that with the next conversation. Apparently this was happening in a public enough place that the Pharisees are nearby and they hear, Jesus says, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? They're already a little, they get the implication of what he's doing. And the suggestion is, he's here to heal all the blind people, right? And they said, oh, are you saying we blind, we're blind? Look at Jesus' response, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Jesus has elevated this conversation of blindness beyond the physical realm. And he's talking about something spiritual. And in fact, he is pointing to one of the most profound themes of the entire scripture. This idea of light and darkness, sight and blindness, is a theme woven through John's gospel, but it actually goes all the way back to the beginning. It's kind of like, I remember the first time I taught my daughter to make a snowman, and what do you do? You pack a little bitty snowball, right? And then you start to roll it. And what happens as you roll that snowball? It collects more, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and that's exactly what we see with this theme. Going all the way back to Genesis, look at how the book of Genesis begins. In Genesis chapter 1, let's go ahead and jump to Genesis 1. Verse three, and God said, let there be, what? Light, and there was light, and then what did God do? He, he saw, sight, is the first description of God's interaction with his creation here. He saw that the light was good. What does it mean that God saw that the light was good? This word good means it's, it functions the way it's meant to, it works. It's, it's the sense of a carpenter who finishes a chair and checks all the joints and sits down in it and goes, yes, this is what I meant to make. Or, or a chef who prepares a dish and has one little sample taste and says, yes, that's what it was meant to be. God steps back and he looks at the light that he made and he says, it's good. And as he continues to create, at every point, this refrain happens over and over again. God makes something and he looks at it and he says, that's what it's supposed to be. At the end of creation, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. What's the point of Genesis 1? God made it. He made it the way it was meant to be, and he evaluates its goodness. Now, look at what happens in chapter 2. God looks at man by himself and says, no, this is not good. This is not the way I meant it to be. Once again, you have that carpenter. He's checking things out, and he goes, no, this isn't complete. And so he goes and he makes woman to be a compliment beside man. Man and woman together is the way it was meant to be. Again, God designs and God assesses the way it ought to be based on how he sees things. You get the theme so far? Look at Genesis 3. When the woman, what? Saw that the fruit of the tree was what? Good. Good. Now, we skipped over a little bit, but you know what God said about that fruit? He said, that's not for you. That's not for you to eat. But in this moment, humanity makes a decision that they can see with their own eyes apart from how God sees and make their own decisions about what's good for them. 
And look at the irony of what happens when Adam and Eve go against what God sees, what God decides. What happens in verse 7? Their eyes were what? Opened. Were they physically blind before they ate the fruit? No, what were their eyes opened to? They realized they were naked and they went and hid. They went from seeing a world of beauty and goodness and generosity and grace to seeing a world of shame that they had to hide themselves from. From this moment on, their sight was changed. Paul assesses it this way in the book of Romans. He says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. The human race is spiritually blind. We cannot see the world for what it is. And John picks this theme up in chapter 1. When he describes Jesus, he says that he is the true light that came, that was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, referencing back to Genesis, the world didn't recognize him. They couldn't see him. They couldn't see him for who he was. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Or to put it in the most simple terms, in John chapter three, Jesus said it this way. Unless no one can see the kingdom of God, unless they're born again. Jesus is pointing to a spiritual blindness that darkens our hearts to see reality until we meet the one who heals our spiritual blindness. So he looks at the Pharisees. One of the greatest problems for the Jews of their day was how did the religious leaders miss Jesus? How can you explain that? If someone had a press conference today and announced I'm the new CEO of Walmart and the whole Walmart board said, no, he's not, there would be a problem, right? There's a clear conflict you have to explain. And yet that's what it looked like to the world. Here is Jesus presenting himself as Messiah and all the Jewish leaders are saying, no, he's not. How do you explain the Messiah being denied by the entire leadership of the Jewish world? The answer's right here, spiritual blindness. So the question for us is will we trust in the Son of Man who has the ability to help us see. First, for anyone in this room tonight, like, if this is hitting you for the first time, if you're recognizing, if, if that description of being darkened in your heart, where the, the world is a world of shame and brokenness, and you don't see a way out, the invitation is to meet and trust in Jesus, the one who breathes life into our hearts and opens our eyes to see. And just like with Jesus' miracles, there's no magic incantation or formula. It's a movement of the heart to trust in him. And we invite you to do so. But interestingly, as we follow the New Testament, the problem of not seeing well doesn't end the moment we trust Christ. There is a continued prayer that God would open our eyes. 
So are you letting Jesus change the way you see? Can I give you one really practical question? Do you have another Jesus follower in your life who can tell you when you're blind? Do you have someone who loves the Lord enough and loves you enough to look at you and say, hey, I think you're blind on this one. If you don't, I am so thankful for some people in my life that are not afraid to just pull me aside and say, hey, Nick, you're out of line. You're missing this. Because we are continually having our eyes and our hearts opened up to see the world the way God made it and discover the goodness of what it means to walk with him. And the invitation I think Jesus is giving each one of us tonight is to let him begin to change our hearts and open our eyes and rescue us from our blindness. So let's take a moment and go to the Lord. Talk to him. Just sitting where you are, um, he can hear you right where you are, so you don't have to say this out loud. You're welcome to. But just spend some time talking to the Lord about your own spiritual sight, inviting him to shine that light on the areas of blindness that you experience. Lord, we love you, and we need to see. We are a people born blind because of sin, and only you can help us to see again. So would you change us? Let us look on the Son of Man and believe. sing this together, would you spend some time just contemplating and meditating on what the Lord just spoke to you through, Nick.
my heart, I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power in love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see. I want to see you. Well, good evening. Do you guys miss me? Half of you are out there going, who are you? And the other half are going, were you gone? Hey, I'm Doug Rains. And uh, one of the things that I uh, was allowed to do when I served here in Mosaic was to be a part of our global outreach ministry. And when I first came on board, by the way, that's what I'm getting to do over in Bentonville. So you guys trained me, and now I get to go over there and teach Bentonville how to be Mosaic. But one of the ways I got to learn is that just right after I came on board in this role, um, the Magmahans and the Coles had started the process of getting ready to be, to be uh, launched uh, to Africa. And they are the ones that taught me what does it mean to be a missions pastor. And so I am so grateful to, to, for a chance to celebrate with these guys uh, this evening. Uh, the Coles would be here, Brandon uh, was going to be here, but the kids got sick, and then Bethany's dad had open-heart surgery, so let's just pretend that Brandon and Bethany are right over there, okay? But anyway, we're going to celebrate because God has done some incredible things, and you guys, you guys got to be as much a part of it as the ones who were on the ground over in Mali, Africa. And so I wanted to celebrate with you. Our vision for global outreach uh, the one We have a couple of taglines. One of them is to reach the unreached near and far. Um, the way we like to talk about it is we want to see a gospel witness established and sustained where there's not one. Or as I got a chance to, and, and by the way, I got this shirt but as I was helping launch these people. We went to, to Sierra Leone to meet some folks um, who were doing this ministry, and they, they gave me the shirt there. So this is my reminder of... Yeah, yeah, they didn't get it from Dillard's. But anyway, one of the things that they, the ways that they said it in Sierra Leone that has stuck with me is, uh, we want to bring the gospel to people where there is no Jesus option. Where people couldn't believe in Jesus because they'd never heard of him. And there's not a believer around to tell them about him. And so that's the heart and the passion that we have. And that's what these guys stepped into. And so I want you to know a little of their story as we celebrate what God has done. I want you to know a little of their story because uh, I want you to hear how God has brought them through this. So I'm going to ask Jason if he'll start. Uh, Jason, you guys were living in northwest Arkansas, 
trying to serve the Lord, walking with Jesus, uh, incredible basketball coaches, by the way. Um, and God started moving you. So tell us a little bit, how do you go from just being somebody who's living for Jesus in Northwest, Ar Northwest Arkansas to somebody who's now going all the way over to Mali, Africa? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a big question. <laughs> so um, it's good to be with you guys, and uh, so many of you we know, and so, so many of you we need to meet. Um, we, um, as Doug just said, we're coaching basketball in Bentonville, and, and before that I've been in Siloam, and we're, we're you. Uh, we were coming to Mosaic on Saturday nights, and much like Nick said tonight, is uh, to produce and release spiritual leaders, and there's a bunch of people who did that uh, for us and helped produce us. Um, uh, Doug was one of those, and, and uh, we did a lot of that through trial and error, I think, Doug. And, um, and we've got, you know, Nick and many, many, many people that have done that. And there's people that are probably sitting out here um, right now, I can't see uh, everybody's face, but who helped do that uh, for us. And um, I think the biggest thing is exactly is what Nick was saying uh, at the beginning of all of this is just uh, pressing in, going from, you know, I think of probably you, you think you're living a normal life. You've got a, you, you're fine with your house and your kids and your, your family and your job and all those things. And that's what we were. And they said, go to Terry Weedle's class this summer. And we're like, okay, Nick said, do it. We should do it. And they said, get in a community group. And we did it. And get a mentor. We did it. And, um, all those things. And it was a pursuit of, um, really wanting to understand who Jesus was, what he cared for, um, what his heart was. And uh, one of our friends who's here tonight that you'll meet in a few minutes, he, it says, says this very, very well, is not presenting our plan and saying, um, let's just pray that this plan works. Let's just go to Jesus first. Let's do this. Let's go to Jesus. Let's pray and say, how would you spend my life for your story uh, and we began to do that, and we just kind of went down the road of, of taking the build classes and uh, doing that, all these things that we talked about tonight, and we got from what we would have defined as a very normal situation of being in community group, going to build classes, doing these things, coming to church on Saturday night, to should we take a trip? And we did that, and then we took a trip, and we used our skill of that's debatable whether we're really good basketball coaches or not, but we use that skill of coaching basketball, which is not a very valuable skill, by the way. And we use that, and God said, man, I can use that for something good. And um, we went, and then people there started saying, you should live here. You could really help us with basketball. And the books we were reading and the podcasts we were listening to in our pursuit of Jesus was like, you should do that. You should go take this message, the Son of Man message, to Muslims, who that's a very mercurial name, the son of man, to them. And so we felt that invitation, and we prayed, and we said, God, would you have us to do this? And, and uh, he did, and I think this is important. If I could say anything that, that resonates with you, is like, what would it be to be the guy who was blind? Like, that'd be so hard to be blind, but for Jesus to, like, wipe away the blindness and to have that experience, I think we all would be like, man, that's what I want. That's, that would be an amazing experience in my life. And that's exactly what I feel like as we're now moving home. It was. It was really, really hard and the thrill of a lifetime. And so it was very much a paradoxical um, existence that was um, 
We got to experience Jesus in a way we never would have dreamed of, what he was doing, participating in his ministry. We saw people study the Bible uh, for years, and uh, for in some cases for years, before they decided the son of man that Jesus is talking, that he calls himself, that's the person I should follow for with, with all of my life and depend on my uh, all hope in this life and in the next to be on that guy. And so that's the thrill of a lifetime. So I would encourage you to think about it. <laughs> so somewhere along the way, did something supernaturally miraculous happen to you guys that suddenly made you super saints? Nothing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Nothing like that. We never had a dream and it said Molly in the dream or anything like okay. that. It's just we pressed in on all these things, reading the Bible, Bible study, community group, all the things that Colin's telling us to do here we just did all those things, and the more I read the Bible and I understood Jesus, it's like, oh, he cares for those people as much as he does Americans, mm. and they don't have this church and Life Church and Grace Point and all those places to drive to. Like, how blessed are we? Should we go? Because they're saying, would you come coach basketball here? Yeah. All right, Melissa, I got a question for you. So you're over. You've, you've done. The, you know, you've made the commitment. You've you've jumped in there. You're living in Mali, Africa. Um, by the way, they still haven't convinced me to go there yet. Um, I can't tell them I have no reason to go there. It's a horrible place to live, isn't it? It's not the best. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, so you're over there living in Mali, Africa. And I want you to talk to us a little bit about the joys and the struggles of just being obedient to Jesus in Mali, Africa. So the, the joys... Obviously, we have four kids kind of laying across the front row here. Um, the joys are getting to experience this together in this new culture. And the people of this culture are just phenomenal. Like, I just can't even explain to you guys how much they helped us and our kids and transition and, like, be able to live there. Like, we ran out of water. That was a normal challenge. Yeah. yeah. For two days straight, we had no running water. And... Some of our Malian friends just showed up. They heard through word of mouth that we had been out of water, and they showed up. They had gathered in their little, like, neighborhood area all these jugs of water and brought them all to our house to use. And that's, like, one example of just so much love from these people of helping us um, transition in. And so that was a real joy to see. Um, obviously, the conditions were really hard. Um, it's funny, though, just listening to Nick teach on this tonight, that – in terms of like the spiritual work that we saw happen there, the joys by far were seeing people come to the Lord, obviously, as you guys can imagine. And, and over just these tedious times of just studying the word and just studying the word, studying the word, praying for them, um, but just letting them discover who God is through the word, which usually would take like about a year to study from creation to Christ is what we would do. And Seeing them believe in him as a son of man was such an incredible joy of these people that had never studied the Bible before. Um, but then listening to the story, it really struck me because a lot of them would then have this crisis of going back and being rejected by their family, being rejected by their communities. And that was really hard <laughs> to see these people come to faith and then see them experience this kind of rejection. And 
the hard part is you would see some of them really press in and say, no, like, he is my savior. I don't care what happens, and I'm following God. And that was just the epitome of joy, is to see people go through that. And then, I mean, in all transparency, you'd have the others that said, no, this isn't worth it, and start to question whether or not this is something they can actually follow. This is way harder than they thought it would be. And that's hard um, to, to see people really, really believe and it's just kind of the seeds that they talk about being planted in Matthew and, um, and the roller coaster of what that is and just loving these people so much and just wanting them to have, you know, salvation in the Lord and live a life out called to that. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. So you guys are coming back. Um, and uh, Jason, tell us a little bit about what you're going to be doing now. Yeah. Yeah. So I have yeah, exciting news and, and I'm excited about that for sure. Um, we, uh, and, it, and it's super fun, and I'll probably add this into the front of what you're saying there, Doug, is, but, like, I look at, like, Larry sitting right here in the front row, and, like, he, like, prayed for us and put our picture, even though I'm kind of ugly and Melissa's beautiful, like, on his refrigerator, you know, and there was people for, from Mosaic who did that. It's like, man, what an opportunity, like, even if you can't go, you know, and I remember in their story, you know, there was some sacrifice financially for them to be able to to help us do that, to pray for us. And like the bond that we have and we share and all that is so amazing. And so this place and so many of you um, like that are, are part of all of this. And I'll introduce you to some really cool people in heaven one day. It'll be super fun. And so with that, Doug, I'm excited um, because um, they, they offered for me to be able to come and be what Doug's going to be at Bentonville. I get to be that here at the Rogers campus, and so I get to continue to work with you guys, and, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, so I'm super, super excited to get to work with the team you saw on the screen, and, and, and with the Sunday morning people, too, here for Rogers and Springdale, so, um, I look forward, like Nick said, you know, we can grab coffee, and we can meet up, and we can talk in the future about how you can, uh, do something like this. It's great, okay. As, as we wrap this up, we, we said our vision was to see a gospel witness established and sustained where there wasn't one. Did you see that happen? So, yes, um, that, that, is, that has begun to happen. There, there are people who have left um, a destitute uh, situation and have faith, and they are led new people to Christ themselves already. Uh, you know, like one quick little story of that is like even in uh, like a prison ministry that I was doing, there was a prisoner who led other prisoners to the Lord and um, stuff like that. And that's happened with Brandon and Bethany and Melissa and everybody has their own little stories that we don't have enough time here to tell today. But um, definitely that is in the beginning processes of happening. Um, disciples who are making disciples for sure. So thank you guys for those prayers and, and um, joining us in this, this, this event of uh, the work Jesus is doing. So with that in mind, if Brandon was here, I would be now turning to Brandon and said, okay, so now what are you guys going to do? Uh, Brandon and Bethany are going to stay. They're, they're staying in, in Mali because God has told them he wasn't done with them yet. And so they're going to continue to do the work that has been established and, and begun to move forward. And it's the work of continuing to share the gospel and to train people who come to know to come to faith in Christ to, to share that same gospel with people, 
and, and Brandon has already begun to see an opportunity open for him to, to train and to raise up leaders, uh, and, and Bethany as well. And so that's what they're going to be doing. So the mosaic presence in Mali, Africa continues. You keep praying, you keep loving, you keep supporting, and God will keep blessing, and Mosaic will continue to have an impact halfway around the world. And so again, we celebrate. We are grateful. Thank you. Thank you guys. Uh, we are honored and just privileged to be partners in this. And one of the partnerships that we found in this that, that has truly been a blessing is the organization that they joined is called Final Command. And I'm going to ask Claude King, uh, who's a part of Final Command, to come up here. Um, and they, we've partnered with Final Command to help them be in Africa. Um, and, and so I've asked Claude, if he would, to just share with us a little bit from, from that sending agency perspective. And then when he gets done, I'm asking him to just to close us tonight with a prayer of blessing and thanksgiving. It's a privilege for me to be with you all. And uh, five years ago, I was here with this team to lead a prayer boot camp to help you, equip you to begin to pray for them. And uh, I serve on the board of directors for Final Command. And uh, for five years, we've gotten to hear the stories of what God is doing to uh, cause breakthroughs in the Muslim world. And um, I believe that we're just beginning to see what could be a great harvest come. And uh, so you all have been pioneers in that work. This is a special privilege for me to represent Final Command Ministries and to be back at Fellowship and Mosaic to celebrate what God has accomplished in the last five years through the Molly Hoops team. God has vividly demonstrated what he wants and can do with willing and faithful servants. He's done wonders through not only these two families, the McMahons and the Coles, but also through the body of Christ, as many of you have participated as ambassadors for Christ and workers together with God, through faithful intercession, encouragement, financial support, and the engagement through short-term participation in Mali. Uh, surely God has increased your faith to believe him for even greater and more fruitful endeavors in the days to come as Jason and Melissa serve as equippers and mobilizers from Arkansas and the Coles continue to serve on the front lines of disciple making in Mali and across sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, my prayer is that God will do even greater work in days to come through a whole body of encouraged and surrendered servants who bring Christ and the Father great glory as the Lord bears much lasting and multiplying fruit through you. Uh, your church is a great encouragement and an example to others as a demonstration of what God can do to change the world. Final Command Ministries has been blessed to join hands and hearts with you in this partnership for the kingdom, and we look forward to continuing our partnership for God's great glory. Would you pray with me for these two couples and their families? Heavenly Father, I want to, uh, first of all, I want to thank you for uh, raising up a church that wants to see a gospel movement not only 
in local setting, but to the ends of the earth, and created an environment where you called these two couples to join you in a radical mission to carry the, the gospel of Christ to a very dark place. And you're shining the light in that dark place. And uh, we thank you for uh, their faithfulness in serving you. And I want to pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless them as, uh, as the McMahons turn, return to uh, Arkansas to, uh, to begin to mobilize and equip and train people who can um, do that here locally, but uh, to be available for those you would call to go to uh, the darkest places and some of the most difficult places around the globe to carry the gospel there. So I pray your blessing on the family as they transition back home and uh, that you would provide and use them and uh, shine a light in fresh new ways here in Arkansas. And I pray for the Coles, Lord, as they go back to the front lines um, with leaders coming who've been trained and equipped. We just sense, Lord, that the harvest that's begun there is going to begin to multiply significantly. And, uh, Lord, it has begun, and you've done it. I thank you, Lord, for this church and the way they have supported these missionaries so faithfully through intercession and financial resources and going and encouraging. And, uh, Lord, I pray that this will become a pattern to send others and that this church will continue to change the world as you work through them. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. From the wilderness you brought me 